my story begins in 1932. We had to say dickity, cause the Kaiser had stolen our word 20. I chased that rascal to get it back, but gave up after dickity six miles. <laughs> dickity? Highly dubious. What are you cackling at, fatty? Too much pie, that's your problem. show where life is one big disappointment after another until you just wish Flanders is dead. I'm your host, Priya Rohde, and I set out to explore when the media and creators you love peaked. And here with me today is the hilarious, the friendly, the vaccinated Jason Edwards, co-host of Ruin My Life. Jason, you are a podcaster, you are a shit poster, you are a Mary Elizabeth Winstead devotee. How you doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing great. You do me too much credit, Bri. Uh, uh, thank you for having me on. It's so good to be here. It's so good to reconnect again over the medium of podcasting. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, that's a great segue because I think all our listeners, uh, the, the question on everyone's mind is, what is Ruin My Life? Um, it, it's a podcast that is currently on an unplanned hiatus, mm-hmm. uh, but it but it was, is, and, and shall be in the future a podcast that I do with my, my friend Kelsey Goldman, our mutual friend, uh, you and I, Brie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's about, uh, I, I would say it's broadly an enthusiasm podcast. It's a podcast where we celebrate the things people love and 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 why they love them uh or rather that's sort of like the the, the mission statement that's like the, the the thing on the on the masthead on like you know the, the corporate website version of our podcast <laughs> what we really do is force each other to watch like tv shows and movies that we like and then uh discuss them yeah you know the first uh episode that i listened to when i learned that kelsey had a podcast was my favorite movie the shining uh mm-hmm. fantastic i i I'm always interested in the perspective of someone who's seeing The Shining for the first time because I saw it for the first time when I was eight. Um, I had a really good childhood. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But you guys uh, recently, and by recently, I mean 2021, uh, when it was still, when there was still snow on the ground, but you did one of my favorite underrated straight to VHS movies, which is Shriek If You Know What I Did Last Friday the 13th. Um, uh, it's, 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 so, it's so good to meet another devotee of yeah. Shriek. I just, I really think that movie was done dirty. I think I, we were bantering about this on Twitter, how it was supposed to be released before Scary Movie. And when Scary Movie uh, ramped up their release date, moved, moved it up, they realized, you know, Tom Arnold can't compete with the Wayans brothers <laughs> straight to VHS. I, I really do think that movie is such a weird little gem. Absolutely, absolutely underrated, and I would love to see the alternate history where that movie got released first, and that became the big like horror spoof franchise. Yeah, uh, who knows what could have happened? Who knows? And now I was I was lucky enough to be on uh, on an episode of Ruin My Life in which I was ruining your and probably more accurately Kelsey's life by um, you know having a pretty thorough defense of the Simpsons season one, which is, I realize, a very contentious position to hold. But so that's why I thought it was only natural that I have you here for week two of my month-long Simpsons extravaganza, in which I have listed the, enlisted the help of um, three uh, 30-something males, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I really thought this through, um, to discuss the peak of the Simpsons. You know, the peak show is all about finding when something attained perfection and then when right before it starts to go downhill when something shouldn't have should or shouldn't have ended 
And I mean, you can't talk about that topic without talking to The Simpsons now. Uh, I guess uh, important question to ask is kind of what is what was your relationship like with the material? You know, did you watch The Simpsons entirely growing up? Were you a kid who wasn't allowed to watch it at first? Yeah, my memory of it, like a lot of stuff of my childhood, is a little bit blurry in terms of when I actually started watching it. My main relationship to it was watching the reruns that were syndicated uh, in, in my local, um, uh, uh, I guess it was the UPN affiliate for a while, actually, mm. for, at 6 p.m. on weekdays, uh, you know, back-to-back two episodes. But I was also watching it on Sunday nights from, I think, like, 98 onwards, mm-hmm. uh, which, which, which seems like a bit young for me personally. Yeah. Uh, but I was very into comedy as a kid, and it's kind of one of those things that me and my dad bonded over, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so that was like, you know, here's a thing that's airing every week, and maybe it's, uh, you know, I, I think, I mean, I, I got it, a lot of it, right? It, it didn't go totally over my head. Mm-hmm. But I do, it's, it, it clearly is not a cartoon show for children. Yeah. Uh, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that I was uh, very special and unique and, and not <laughs> like other girls. <laughs> Well, and uh, you know what? I I accidentally did this last week with Ted, and I can't. Uh, we can't possibly go forward in the podcast without going back to the intro because it's so important for our audience to know. When did you peak, Jason? Oh man, good question. I I really think that that there was a point in my life where I I didn't know how to pursue things, mm-hmm. like how to like set goals and and like work towards them, which is the thing I've been working to rectify in recent years, but. There was a there was a period in my life when I was like 24, uh, when I just turned 24, when it seemed like that approach, just sort of like let things happen to me and stumble through life, was going to work out really, really well. <laughs> um, I remember because there was a time when I'd like, uh, I like, I was working, you know, I, I had some friends in, who were, we were putting out a like an online uh fiction and, and art horror themed zine. Uh, nobody read it, but it was like work that I was like doing with other people that I was very proud of. And I was like, we put out a really good Halloween issue one year. Uh, and, and then I was like, the week after that, I started working uh, for the, uh, on the off-Broadway production of Hamilton at the Public Theater as part oh. of the stage crew, uh, which for me was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very much reaching towards the, at this level of like fame and influence and this big, it was this big exciting thing. And I truly did not belong there in, in any sense. I, I landed there purely through, I guess, nepotism and luck. Um, and I thought, like, okay, I can probably just ride this thing out for uh, if it's if it's as big as we think it was go- it's going to be, and it was. Uh, I can just ride this out forever, pretty much, right? I, I'm I'm set. I don't have to worry about a job or doing anything with my life or even like cultivating my own interests or passions ever again. Um, didn't 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 happen that way. Uh, and I, so I would think that's sort of the peak of, uh, you know, the, 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 an earlier version of myself. Yeah. Uh, I do like to, you know, I like to think that this, this Jason that you were speaking with now has yet to peak. Um, but the, yeah, the early twenties, Jason was, uh, definitely peaked at 24. (laughs) God, I can't think of anything less true for me. My early twenties was just, I mean, I, I am a person who is constantly on the verge of a panic attack and uh, early 20s being the latter half of university, you're, you're going to hear a lot of Canadianisms, by the way, <laughs> the latter half of university um, and then the first little bit of my job, like making just on the margins of poverty and like having to live in Toronto for the first time. Uh, 
my god i was in shambles like this is the first the last maybe five years or the first time in forever that i've just like relaxed and i think relax is relative for me so, <laughs> um and but you know what I, i'd say a big uh enhancement of my life is last year or close to two years ago now uh disney plus came to canada and uh finally i had a way of watching the simpsons on vod and uh Going through chronologically is a weird chore because it you really realize that it's not actually that simple figuring out like, oh, Simpsons was good until this point. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I don't want to, I want to try and not go over the things I went over with Ted too much about, but because um, we talked a lot about like the showrunners and the different things that they brought. Um, but honestly, one thing that I've just been kind of missing was the experience of watching it as an adult versus watching it as a kid versus watching new episodes as a kid and watching reruns as a kid. So I know you've been thinking a lot about the the Sunday night experience. So can you tell us a little bit about your Sunday night experience? Yeah, well, I think the thing that, that I've been thinking about the most is the fact that the way I experience The Simpsons is not a way that anyone now or probably ever again will experience any like long-running piece of media because if if you know if i was like somehow like the same age i was like if i was like eight or nine years old now and just serving the simpsons now and it was like you know if, if all that happened in the present day right when streaming existed i wouldn't have been like watching new episodes of the show on sunday and then like going through the roulette wheel of uh, syndicated episodes every weekday, right? Mm -hmm. I would see like, oh, The Simpsons show is really funny. I'm going to start at episode one and just watch until I'm caught up. And I'm just going to go through every episode in chronological order and then, you know, catch up with the show as it's currently airing. Mm -hmm. um, that, and I think that, that that gave me such a weird picture of what the show was. And I, and I kind of had a similar relationship to, to Seinfeld because Seinfeld also has like a... Not as it didn't go on for as long, obviously, but there's a real drop in quality at the end of that show as well. Yes. But um, in, in both cases, in particular in The Simpsons, there was I, I was so I was watching like the earlier episodes, which I'm you know we everyone I'm sure knows, and you've probably already gone over this with with Ted. Uh, but you know the early episodes, much more like heartfelt, uh, more more of a focus on character and you know story uh, and stuff like that, and like you know obviously the the, the satire is better, blah blah blah. Uh, so there was I was watching that. But I was also seeing, like, you know, seasons, like, 11, 12, and 13, where the show is still watchable, but much broader, uh, a lot less intricately written and less emotional. And, you know, I, I really think that, you know, because I've been rewatching some of season 12 in, in preparation for this, and there's a lot of episodes there I still really like. There's stuff mm -hmm. that is funny, and it's clear, it's clearly, like, you know, not, not, not to jump ahead, it's clearly on, on the downslope at that point, I think. Yeah. Um, but... But, but but I kind of I like that I like that my impression of The Simpsons was this show that didn't like you know hit a hit a peak and then slowly start to start start to go downward. It was like a show that you know I guess contained multitudes. It could be a very like you know character focused like show about a family mm -hmm. that had yeah, had actual relationships to each other, or it was just like a wacky gag machine about a, a, a silly man who mm -hmm. went did went on adventures and went to you know went to Japan with his family and stuff. Captain Wacky. Uh, so something about something about that. I guess seeing the worst episodes mixed in with the better ones, mm -hmm. in a weird way, made the show more approachable to me. I think. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Does that does that make any sense at all? Well, I think it does. And then also that ties into something that I kind of realized as um, when I was looking at your notes about 
the Sunday night experience versus the syndication experience, which was, I, I've been watching The Simpsons probably for as long as I have been alive. Uh, I was born six months before the show proper started. I never saw the Almond shorts outside of the 138th episode Spectacular, but um, uh, I don't think we got the Tracy Almond show in Canada. Um, <laughs> we, we really lost out on that cultural touchstone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that The Simpsons for me, like, yeah, it was always on. My parents never restricted it. I had two older siblings who loved it, uh, especially my sister. So I just was always watching it. I actually can recall the first um, the first episode I remember watching, which was Flaming Moe's. And it was the scene in which Homer is just uh, hallucinating and hears everyone saying, you know, can I mow the lawn? You promised me mow money. And then even Maggie takes out her pacifier and says, mow. And that was like, I, I must have been three or four. And I remember thinking, ha, 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 the baby said something. It's a joke because the baby can't <laughs> say something. Like, um, but The Simpsons was the first show in which I kind of really realized and um, uh, made sense of <laughs> not the passage of time in general, but the passage of time like as it relates to a show. Because there is such a distinct difference between the first season and the rest and even the first and second season and the rest because you have uh, Homer's very distractingly different voice because Dan Castellaneta was trying to do um, not just Walter Matthau. A lot of, everyone knows the Walter Matthau thing. He was also trying to do Fred Flintstone, um, which, mm. which I understood first as a kid because I watched the Flintstones. My mom loved the Flintstones. So, um, but, and then the animation style really cleans up if there's such a jump, a leap into season two, and then there's a leap even further after that. And so it was not long before I could tell when I watched, you know, The Simpsons that was on at five o'clock versus The Simpsons that was on at six and 6.30 on the other network that like, oh, this episode is older. And when I realized how many episodes of The Simpsons there were, I was just like, oh my God, like there is so much to be had here. And Sometimes the networks that I watched on, because we had our, our local CTV affiliate would do five o'clock. There was a Francophone station that would do French Simpsons at 530. Um, I didn't always watch that, but I did when I was trying to tell my parents, oh yeah, it's, it's helping my French. <laughs> it was not helping my French. Um, and then Fox had one at six and one at 630. And then when I was nine, Teletoon also added one at nine. So um, sometimes the Fox affiliate would um, would play them chronologically. And so I'd catch up there and I'd get to watch the evolution of it, which is really funny. Um, but yeah, so I, I wanted to actually elaborate on something you said because uh, talking about the, um, the uh, season 12, which uh, the, the wonderful Simpsons podcast, Talking Simpsons is currently on season 12. And just today or yesterday, they released um, they released an episode on the one where the kids are snowed in the school. And I was thinking about how when I was a kid, I, I was a precocious little comedy nerd child. Um, and so when I was a kid watching these, like I knew a lot of the jokes weren't for me. Like a good example is in the Itchy and Scratchy movie episode, uh, Homer, there's there's so many jokes about Homer knowing all the names of the justices of the Supreme Court and making the joke about the later Earl Warren. Earl Warren wasn't a stripper. Now you're the one who's being naive. Um, <laughs> so like I was, you know, five or six, I was smart enough to know that this is a joke 
but not for my basic bitch preschool ass. Um, but then, <laughs> so when I'm 11 years old and watching uh, Skinner's Sense of Snow, and there's the joke, nibbles chew through my ball sack. <laughs> I actually didn't find that funny even as an 11 year old. And I kind of wonder if it's because it was made for an 11 year old. And like the, the Mike Scully years, I mean, I talk a lot of shit about Mike Scully considering he seems like a perfectly nice guy and he did de-Harvardify the writer's room, which, you know, yay, you know, elitism and capitalism are bad. But I, I think also one thing that doesn't get touched on a lot is he brought a lot of juvenile humor to the show. And like, I think it's fine in small doses. I just don't know if chew through my ball sack is what I would think of as a Simpsons joke. I would think of that as a family guy joke. Yeah, I mean, actually, I just watched that episode um, yesterday, and and the thing that I mean, the thing that I guess I I, I kind of uh, you revealed my feelings about that by laughing when you quoted it. The thing, the thing that I, I'm picturing when I laugh at it, though is not necessarily the uh, you know the very as you, as you correctly put it, very juvenile kind of play on words there. Yeah, it's the it's the the reaction shot of the hamster. Uh, <laughs> something about that like really tickles me. The idea that the hamster is like more tuned in to the implications of what Skinner is saying than mm-hmm. Skinner himself. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that, I guess that's the sort of, because I guess the, I mean, I think you're right. I think that the part of the problem with that joke is that it is for an 11-year-old and you are, you know, a little, as you said, precocious uh, comedy nerd uh, watching The Simpsons. How so you, dare you're, you're this going, be made for me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're looking, because you're, you're going to over something that's not aimed for you mm-hmm. or aimed at you. Yeah. You're going, you're going, you don't want the kind of humor you could get on a show made for someone in your age range. You want something a little bit more um cerebral and and like even like obtuse Mm -hmm. like i i think there's really a value in finding a show that you can sort of like vibe with comedically as a kid um and like understand that there are things in that are funny and things you find funny but also uh that that sometimes the jokes don't make sense Mm -hmm. i i think that i had a real from from the simpsons as well but also from watching uh like like mid to early 90s snl reruns as a kid where there'll be this, you know, half the jokes in those are like name drop of like a, a contemporary person. But because I was nine and the sh- shows were from seven years ago, I didn't know who the hell they were talking about. Mm-hmm. But something about the, the 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 way they hit the jokes and the, you know the uproarious laughter from the studio audience imprinted on me. Like, okay, it can it's it's funny. Um, this this is meant to be funny. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this this might not be a relatable thing at all. But I think that gave me a certain sense of like absurdism in, in in the way i view comedy yeah because i was laughing at things that i truly did not understand and if i had understood them in the case of snl definitely uh would not have found as funny simpsons on the other hand most of the references i get now yeah of course improve the joke but that's <laughs> kind of beside the point in a way yeah well i think um i think what you're saying makes perfect sense and i think it's about um those those of us who are pretentious comedy nerds know that comedy as a craft is about a lot more than just the jokes. Um, it's about the timing. It's about the tone. And that's where I think, you know, old peak SNL, and I would love to do an, an episode in the future on peak <laughs> SNL. Oh, um, man. But um, uh, with, or, you know, The Simpsons, it's kind of a masterclass in setup, in pacing. You know, we even talked about this on Ruin My Life, how Simpsons really set a standard for, uh, you know, joke a minute pacing. Um, and I think it's just like now, like I appreciated it as at the time because just the experience of it is so fun. Now, as someone who writes, although I don't write comedy, but 
and I don't write comedy because it's so hard. And I'm just like, wow, this is such a talent. And like, you can witness it, you can um, enjoy it on that level too, of just appreciating the work that goes into it. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I also think with, with the juvenile humor and stuff, like I, I realize I'm being kind of a shit heel by being like, oh, it got too juvenile considering like there were, um, there were less juvenile episodes and stuff. And there were, there was also very immature humor early on. I mean, look at Bart Mania. It was all about like being the bad boy and stuff. So, um, but, but yeah, I, I do think the sub, there's nothing subversive about chew through my ball sack. <laughs> right, right. Nothing. And I'm not even saying that Simpsons is the most is is a subtle show. No, but but even even um yeah, in, uh, to your point in the earlier years, a joke like would have more layers to it than just, you know, a, a juvenile sort of play on words. It would be if it was juvenile the, the juvenilia would be like one of many aspects of the joke or it would be yeah, or as you say with the joke and stuff, that juvenile thing would be one joke in a string of like 10 jokes that are said in a span of like 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, so that even, even if there was juvenile stuff in the older, older episodes, it didn't have time. To, it didn't sting. Right. Because you were like quickly onto the next thing, which more often than not was actually legitimately very funny. Yes. Um, and uh, I, I, well, like a football in the groin, it has to work on so many <laughs> levels. <laughs> <laughs> like really when you think about it i think football in the groin uh which my god i think like because i watch a lot of hockey and groin injuries are really common in hockey and so anytime i see like jake muzzin recently had a groin injury i'm just like ah my groin <laughs> <laughs> um but football in the groin uh not only very memeable but also is a great very very exaggerated demonstration of the kind of comedy that um like it isn't too far off of what primetime animated comedy became uh, with the advent of Family Guy. And um, this is, I, I hate to say it, this is a Family Guy negative podcast. Um, I know I, I know that it's like, I, I know it's not particularly original to hate on Family Guy, and I know there is stuff to like about Family Guy. Um, there's a lot of things I actually think well, one of the weird things that I would say The Simpsons uh, didn't do as well as Family Guy, from an animation standpoint, I don't know if you've watched a lot of Family Guy? Uh, I have, much more than I'm actually comfortable admitting. That's, that's fine. I mean, I was 15 once and thought it was the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. One amazing thing, if you watch any Family Guy with a big musical number, which let's face it, there's a lot because fucking Seth MacFarlane loves to sing. Um, mm-hmm. The way they animate choreography and dancing is so incredible. Uh, because if you watch a scene of the Simpsons where they're dancing, they are not really dancing. If you watch like their feet moving, they're actually not moving in ways that make sense. And that like the balance is off. The crossover is weird. Like it's not, it's it's hard to describe, but it's not real. Whereas I don't know if Seth MacFarlane, maybe he did some dance training in theater or something, but he is, the the animators are animating real dance moves. They're animating pirouettes. There's one, I, I think it's set on a football field. There's one uh, musical number in which Peter does uh, Alice Con Fuerte turns. And I'm just like, who who thinks of that? That's that's insane. So I don't I don't think Family Guy is an irredeemable show, but I do think when it comes to looking at it in the context of The Simpsons, I think um, 
I think Family Guy has a lot to apologize for. <laughs> uh, Family Guy, and as well as South Park, they really affected the humor of the show. Um, not even because, I mean, I'd say you could accuse Family Guy of bringing in a bit of anti-intellectualism or South Park of bringing a lot of cynicism in. I mean, they really did. And as much as Seth MacFarlane and Trey Parker, not so much Matt Stone, but they came from really privileged backgrounds. But I think they kind of cosplayed as like the working class answer to, you know, Harvardy, uh, you know, yeah, Harvardy Simpsons from a writing perspective, mm -hmm. because these weren't Harvard writers rooms. Um, and additionally, one of the reasons why Fox really loved uh, Seth MacFarlane uh, was because, A, he worked for way less money, <laughs> um, <laughs> and B, he, he took notes. Like, The Simpsons was such a juggernaut critically, and it was one of the only comedies that could notoriously reject the network's notes, especially in the 90s. Um, Graining really made Fox's life, life hard because they would come back to him with a note, and they'd just be like, no, we're not changing that. And that's why you had so much like we hate Fox jokes because they were pretty much just thumbing their nose like, no, no, you can't, you can't control us. So I, I really do think that The Simpsons did eventually find itself in Family Guy's shadow and it decided to try its hand at some more um, broader humor is probably the best, the most charitable way to do it. And also some mean spirited humor. Like that's, that's the other thing about family guy is it is extremely mean spirited. And, and I don't have a problem with mean spirited humor, but I never found the Simpsons to be overly mean spirited. And it was around seasons nine through 12 that it did start becoming really mean, especially to Lisa and Marge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I agree that I think there is a, a place for mean-spirited humor. I, I am not immune to it in the slightest. <laughs> but the you can't, you can't. Uh, that wasn't part of the Simpsons, and that wasn't part of the formula that made the the Simpsons so good in the earlier years. I don't mean formula as, as in like you know a, a sort of a rote standard like a list of like uh, plot points or whatever. Just like the ingredients, right? Mm -hmm. Mean-spiritedness was very much not part of it. And in fact, part of the reason why I think the the satire, because the satire in The Simpsons could be very vicious, right? But mm -hmm. it was, you know, satire with like a, a, a you know, uh, it, it was it was punching up, I guess, for lack of a of a, a better term. Uh, but it was always grounded in these story, in these you know, this this real sweetness and emotion between the family members, and even you know, among other characters on on some occasions. Mm -hmm. So uh, it kind of as soon as you break away part of that, um, again, it was such a such a well constructed show for so many years, mm -hmm. and once you start like changing or even removing whole like pieces of that machinery uh, I, I know it was a it was a recipe a second ago but now it's a machine uh, <laughs> once you start trying to swap those out uh, it doesn't work you you can't just like you know you, you can't just like ship of theseus this thing mm -hmm. or i guess you you can it's a ship now <laughs> how many metaphors do you think i, I can get into this one this one section <laughs> I love metaphors, and it's uh, making me think of, um, weirdly enough, a Dan Castellaneta character. Um, I don't know if you were a big fan of Parks and Rec. Um, I like it less now than I used to, but Dan Castellaneta has a semi-recurring role as a radio host on that show, in which mm -hmm. he's like, would you agree that books are the canvas on which a song is? And just, so I, I am all for mixing metaphors. Um, and actually, one good uh, example of what you're talking about is um, now some people would consider this a post-peak episode. I still think it was around then, but um, the episode in which Lisa goes to military school, The Secret Lore of Lisa Simpson. That is a show that in which Lisa really goes through it, and there's a lot of pathos, and there's a lot of sympathy for Lisa, but there's not... It's 
it's not a lot of humor at Lisa's expense. When other characters are laughing at Lisa, we are meant to be sympathizing with her. They are they're monsters and we feel bad for her. Um, I Weirdly enough, uh, looking back at critical reception to that episode, a lot of people hated it. I remember as a kid loving it because I was like, she's so cool. Like Lisa Lisa was my, my girl power role model for a long time as a kid. Um, and I love it as an adult. I think maybe people didn't particularly like it because it was supposed to be a season finale and season finales are usually bigger deals than that. But yeah, that's... A, that's a good example of something that like even a few years later i think would have been really like lisa is a killjoy and lisa you know and lisa doesn't fit in but it's because she sucks like even when uh she says like or i thought you were looking for a challenge duh a challenge i could do which so relatable that's so fucking <laughs> relatable man um but that's probably the closest lisa becomes to um Lisa comes to being, you know, kind of annoying. Um, they do a worse version of that a couple seasons later in Bart Star, where you think the plot of the episode is going to be Lisa wants to start, Lisa wants to be a girl on the football team. And then when she finds out that there are other girls on the football team, she's like, I'm sorry, I have to leave because like she's not making a statement anymore. That's like a, a meaner version of that plot. Yeah, yeah. And as time went on, Lisa was like not only just like a, like a killjoy, like, oh, like, you know, scolding presence, uh, which is, is bad enough by itself, right? Because that's, like, not a character you want to spend time with. And on a, sh- a show that's, like, a, a recurring, like, sitcom with characters you're supposed to invest in, not wanting to hang out with a character is a problem. Mm-hmm. But she also became, like, uh, like, a, like a trend chaser in a very particular way. Yeah. Like, she would just sort of, she was kind of, like, she would get sort of suckered into, like, new trends. And, like, they were all vaguely, like, you know, liberal left-leaning things which i'm not saying you you can't satirize that absolutely by all means i'm just like as far as the character goes it it made her look um yeah she was she was the butt of the joke often Mm -hmm. and she was either the butt of the joke or she was you know standing off the side going like no you can't you can't do that and like you know trying to pump the brakes on on the hijinks in many episodes which again in later simpsons the hijinks are basically the source of all the humor yeah. there's not really like you know the sort of layered um you know uh, as i was talking about earlier social commentary or like character-based stuff in the later seasons it's just hijinks mm-hmm. and now you've got someone whose whole purpose is to try to stop those things and and i think you know with the talk about south park influencing the show um one of the big things that everyone takes away from south park which again i i don't even think south park is a bad show um you know i I don't hold as much ill will toward it as a lot of other, uh, you know, people on the left or whatever. But South Park's main thesis is caring is uncool. And (laughs) that's what Lisa became is caring is uncool. Like everyone talks about John John Schwarzwalder basically not ever remembering to write Lisa and Marge plots, which he they literally writers would have to go in and rewrite and add like (laughs) Lisa and Marge do something. But I still think it's a lot better than what the writers of Mike Scully's era did, which was they write Lisa plots, but it's about Lisa, you know, being being a killjoy, caring is stupid, um, and it, or even one episode that I think, and I, I always mix this up. I mix this up with uh, Lost Our Lisa. It is not the same episode. It was um, uh, Make Room for Lisa, and that is the episode in which. Uh, Lisa loses her room to the cell phone tower, which a thing that is never resolved. <laughs> the Simpsons still have a cell phone tower in their house. Um, 
but uh, she gets Homer to take her to the sense depth uh, chambers, which like did the Simpsons predict it? Because sense depth chambers, I mean, pre-COVID <laughs> are so hot in Toronto or were so hot in Toronto. Now everything's a Starbucks. Actually, everything's an and <laughs> everything's an A&W now. Everything was a Starbucks in 2000 and 2021. Everything's an A&W. Um, <laughs> they, d- America question. They have A&W in America, right? We do. It's mostly known as just the root beer producer. Okay. Like the root beer is widely available. I didn't know A and W was a was like a restaurant until you know I was like in my mid twenties and like just stumbled upon one in in Asheville, North Carolina, of all places. <laughs> like it, they they so they do exist, but they're they're further and farther between. And I think a lot of people like me would you know would be initially surprised if you said like. That there was more than just the root beer. Hilarious, yeah. Um, A&W Canada is actually an entirely different company, which is weird. Um, but wow, yeah, really? If uh, if the border ever opens up again, and uh, surely you will have reason enough to come to Toronto and visit your pal Bree, I'll. Uh, it will be impossible to not find an A&W because they're on every block. Um, well, well, that that goes without saying, Bree. Yeah. And and obviously the opposite is true. Um, we don't have an A&W down here, but we can go to Dirt Candy. And can we? Oh, I love Dirt Candy so. Uh, and and on another note of did the Simpsons predict it? Uh, they really uh, they were making jokes about how everything turns into a Starbucks, uh, and I guess it was Simpsons tied as a joke uh, when Bart gets his ear pierced. In five minutes, this place is turning into a Starbucks. <laughs> um, but no, with make room for Lisa, she gets Homer to go to the sense depth uh, chambers, and uh, the moral of the story because she she starts seeing herself from Homer's perspective and how. Um, how she was rude to him during the ballet and oh i can be pretty hard on dad too and i'm like that's such a shitty moral of the story because like you shouldn't be noisy and eating during a ballet performance and your kid say like oh i i drag my dad to things he doesn't want to go to that's called being a parent like do you think my parents like going to my fucking dance recitals or want to see me like eat eat shit on the soccer field because I was terrible at soccer <laughs> and because there was shit lying around. No. Um, but like, I, I don't know. It felt like they were like, and the Simpsons is really good at doing heartfelt episodes. So when that was the message of the heartfelt episode, I'm like, Oh, they, they've lost the plot has like, I don't know who wrote their best, like treacly uh, heartfelt stuff, but it, I'm just like, Oh, this lost the plot. Like this wasn't, this wasn't the magical, nice, heartwarming ending that they usually have. Yeah, that, that's such an odd moral, too, because it's not like Homer and Lisa are, like, equal partners who both have a say over, like, what they where they do go and what they do. Like, Lisa's a child. Yeah. Like, it, it, is, it is her parents' responsibility to, you know, um, you know, yeah, go to the ballet with her, do what she wants to do. And, like, she, she's, not, she's not responsible for, like, not, you know, being... I guess too short with him, yeah. Because she wasn't even like wrong. The the moral of that, if I'm like remembering correctly, is just that that, that she was like too harsh about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's, that's yeah, that's so weird, and especially like considering like what, and that's season ten, right? So mm-hmm. That's still not quite. Homer's not like the full on like sociopath of the later years yet, mm-hmm. but he was like transforming from that sort of uh, lovable oafish character into like a in, you know, into into essentially like a. Uh, less like I don't know what the word here is less consistently written version of Peter Griffin at that point yes so it, it, it rings especially hollow uh, given that context yeah um, 
there's one particularly contentious episode, and this is absolutely post-peak, but I'm wondering if you have seen the really despised episode, That 90s Show. I, okay, so I, I know they, they updated, they've done multiple of those, right? They recently did a different one. They did. Right? They, they, they did another one where like, oh, actually, uh, you know, Homer and Marge met in like 2002, right? They're they've elder also done millennials that now. now, yeah. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, I, I have seen I, I have seen that 90s show. I've seen yeah. that episode. So what's interesting is like, because I kind of don't give a shit about canon. I really don't. Like, I don't know. I grew up reading the Babysitter's Club books. So I, I am used to like reality changing and things resetting. And that's, with all due respect, like that's why you do it as a cartoon. Because, you know, you, you can get away with that. I don't hate that episode because it retcons anything. I think it gave it a fun chance to make fun of the 90s uh, because The Simpsons, despite being a very much a 90s show, didn't make fun of the 90s a lot. It didn't make fun of, I mean, did a little bit of making fun of yuppies, but um, no, what, what I think is weird is the way people reacted to that. You'd think the only thing wrong with that episode was they changed the thing I liked when I was a kid. No, I hate that episode because it's poorly written and it's stupid. Like the... <laughs> To call the band Homer's Grunge Bad sadgasm, like that's <laughs> to me, that's not a real uh, joke. It's the kind of thing that I think would make my husband laugh because it's like <laughs> they said gasm, they made a joke about orgasms, ha ha ha. But like <laughs> that doesn't. What does that actually reference from the '90s? Like it's so broad and it's so like you're not even make like why don't you make a joke about playing on Nirvana or like call yourself I don't know enlightenment or something I, I don't know yeah. it's just yeah it's really yeah. lazy it, yeah it's it's just like oh this is a time when the music was very uh sad so um what would be a funny thing to be let's make a joke about how they're sad mm-hmm. and it's like well and then you know it's very much first draft humor at this yeah. point in the show right it's like but we we can the first thing that popped into our heads we put it in the show and that's it to me, um, and yeah, I absolutely agree. I don't think uh, the retconning is not a problem, as you say. That's why it's a, it's a cartoon mm-hmm. where things like and things reset over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, but the yeah, the problem is it's not funny. The jokes are bad. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I I think there's a cooler way to do the retconning thing. Like one thing that I would love, and like again, I'm I'm not a comedy writer, so this is a, you know read my spec script. Um, but a way you can do a um, a way you can do uh, a, a retconning of Marge and Homer's life and you know now they met in the 90s and now they met in 2002 is keep other elements the same you know keep Artie Ziff around and maybe in the 90s Artie Ziff is a D&D nerd and maybe in the 2000s Artie Ziff is a D&D nerd now um, <laughs> or, or like you know uh, he's a he's a coder because they still weren't cool back in uh, in 2002 <laughs> um, you know or um, keep uh, the seldom seen Mr. Bouvier, like have him be doing something different in the 90s and 2000s. Um, because I think The Simpsons has, you know, you said it yourself, one of the best supporting casts and this this uh, Springfield cinematic universe of characters. And I find in recent episodes, because um, I did watch a few from like the seasons 20 through 30, just at random, they don't actually make use of how big the Springfield universe is, you know, which is weird because I used to complain about the fact that it stretched too far beyond the family, but I actually don't know if I, I'd have that much of a problem with it. I don't think they effectively stretch outside of the family enough. Like you have this amazing cast of supporting characters and you're not really doing that much with them. 
Yeah, that, that's 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 that is that's an interesting point because one of the you know one of the standard knocks against later seasons is the you know is is yeah, what you're saying that they, they spend too much time focusing on uh, other characters. But again, the characters in The Simpsons are very good, yeah. and I think they're like I, I I actually remember enjoying like I mean it was always kind of weird because as a kid like you know like I didn't really get how production worked and the fact that The Simpsons had been going on for as long as it had been, I didn't get that was unusual because like I, as a kid I would like take basically everything I saw as like the standard version of that thing. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, Simpsons, Simpsons is a cartoon show that's been running for like, you know, 15 years. That's normal. Uh, and now they're just doing a weird episode about Moe's life. But if it was funny, I didn't care. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the and issue is, again, is like, yeah, you, you could do more with, with these characters. You could have, if you wanted to do a 90s episode, it could be about someone we haven't seen a flashback of. You know, we yeah. could follow another character um, through their time in the 90s if that's what you want yeah I, I, I think one of the things that probably gets people about that episode is they, they you didn't they didn't need to do it we could have all just like gone on like you know not thinking about the fact that Homer and, and Marge and, and the rest of the family is not aging because again we get that it's a cartoon and so but and also people have very fond memories of the like original flashback episodes because they were like so good, good. yeah <laughs> yeah so you're saying like okay we're gonna we're gonna kind of like write off those um, needlessly mm-hmm. and we're going to do it in the laziest way possible. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's this weird combination of a thing that didn't need to be done yeah. but is also being done with as little effort as possible. Yeah, if they if they really thought we really want our 90s episode, like I just don't understand why you wouldn't fire on all cylinders. Um, yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, grunge jokes in the 90s are so easy to make and that's really all they did. And then like, and Simpsons is by far not the only sitcom that does this, but a lot of quote-unquote past humor is really just like winking at the audience like, this'll always be cool, right? And <laughs> yeah, we mm-hmm. that's it's just different versions of the same joke. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things like with the expansion onto other characters, I think the reason why they did it in a way that feels so ineffective is because if I say... Um, want more of the supporting Springfield cast. Me wanting more comic book guy doesn't mean I want an episode where he and Agnes Skinner enter into a romantic and sexual relationship, <sighs> which, oh, yeah. um, you know, I I want more set pieces at the comic book shop. And, and maybe part of that is that comic book shops aren't as cool with the youths anymore. I, I really don't know. I'm, I'm not a youth and I've, I've never been into comic culture. So I don't know. Maybe they're still cool. But I think like that's that's what I mean when I say I want more of the supporting characters or just like Dr. Hibbert. I don't need an episode about Dr. Hibbert. I want a funny doctor's appointment scene. <laughs> yeah. And you can even have an episode where they spend an unusually large amount of time in the doctor's office or in the comic book shop. Right. Mm-hmm. There are organic ways to contrive, you know, spending more time around those characters with without as as you as you mentioned uh cramming two completely unconnected characters into a romance that is not it's it's not really compelling or funny oh yeah and it's just kind of like obviously like okay we just wanted to write uh these two characters into the show or into this episode and we do we need some some you know some reason yeah and again i you know this is the thing i could i could just repeat this over and over again in the, in the context of this discussion but you know, shows, sitcoms aren't really built to go for this long. Mm-hmm. No, uh, not at and all. You, yeah, and, you, and you're like, you're going to run into some sort of like creative drought at some point just because 
like literally the amount of stories you can tell with like any like finite amount of characters and even if it is like the entire town of Springfield there is a limit to the, how many stories you can really tell with those people yeah. or I I mean maybe there's not we won't know because the people who were making the show clearly ran out of ideas yeah. but they only ever stop the Simpsons <laughs> um, yeah and the, you know I, I mentioned this with Ted and as much as I don't want to repeat myself I do think this bears repeating that now that it's owned by Disney I really think, and and the recent just atrocious uh, Maggie short, The Force Awakens from its nap, proves. Uh, have you seen it? I haven't seen it. I just don't. learned of its existence when I went on Disney Plus. To, okay, I, I will stay away. I, I even think the other Maggie shorts are kind of cute, and I get why they exist. Um, like I think the world would be just fine without them. But uh, the The Force Awakens from its nap is not good. Like it's just a series of not even jokes. It's just here's what some Star Wars things would look like animated Simpson style. Um, mm. And to me, first of all, uh, like Julie Kavner, um, Dan Castan, are like they're all getting quite old they are not um you hear it in their voices you know even nancy cartwright who is playing a 10 year old boy is quite old um if or when they die which i think julie kavner's in her 70s and i'm not saying being in your 70s is on your deathbed but certainly you want to retire at some point and we've yeah. we've seen members of the supporting cast uh pass away ruthie taylor who did martin prince and uh sherry and terry uh passed away um Doris Grau passed away uh, back in the 90s. Um, I, I think that if it weren't under the control, if it weren't a Disney asset, you could see them saying, well, we can't do the show without Julie Kavner. The show's done. Um, now that it's owned by Disney, I really do think it would be a case of we're just going to keep it going. We, we replace the voices. Um, and even if The Simpsons doesn't carry on as a half hour TV show because of streaming and because of how many streaming formats there are, there's, I, I really do think we're barreling toward a Springfield cinematic universe of, uh, you know, there's the Maggie shorts and then there's, you know, a few like 15 minute episodes of the the Skinner show or whatever. Um, <laughs> they'll be traveling town oh, tonight. No. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is a bleak and highly plausible uh, world you're, you're, you're painting uh, picture of free. <laughs> when I say The Simpsons predicted it, I really do mean that 22 short films about Springfield was a pitch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but no, so I, I, with, with this episode, I decided to do something a little different, which was try to figure out the formula of what were good things about The Simpsons that eventually became too much. And one of the things was like a lot of celebrity stuff and star fucking. I think like there are like in my last episode, we'd kind of made the assertion that, well, there there were good celebrity voices on on The Simpsons in the past. But, you know, it's Albert Brooks playing uh, playing Hank Scorpio is very different from the like, wow, teen sensation, Britney Spears. Um, they did actually, you know, when I look back, they did it a little bit in the earlier seasons, too. You're just like, I'm George Harrison. Where did you get that brownie? <laughs> like, that is a, that's a pretty just like we're bringing out George Harrison for the sake of bringing out George Harrison. And George Harrison was the best Beatles, so I'm fine with that. Um, but, or even Homer Palooza. That is such a star fucking episode, but it's a great episode. But then, like... I, I I even struggle to figure out it it did become too much. When did it become too much? That's a good question. <laughs> I I wonder, and I I'm not gonna be able to pinpoint this, 
but it kind of feels like maybe there was a point, just a turn in like the way, just like the, I don't know, the the, the apparatus around the show mm-hmm. where it was no longer like, oh, we'll have a guest star and there'll be jokes about this guest star and their premise, their, their purpose will be primarily comedic mm-hmm. and there'll even be jokes that are, you know, at their expense, not not like you know super harshly, but you know the people will kind of poke fun at their own image in in like in their appearance and mm-hmm. and and often the briefness of the appearances of like of uh, famous people was part of what made it so funny. Yeah, it's like well, it's it's kind of funny that that Sonic Youth is actually in this episode, but they're only in it for like five minutes, really. They're terrible uh, like, voice like, actors. <laughs> <laughs> they are but, so. But awful. that's part of what makes it funny, though. Yes, but but now it's more like okay. We're gonna bring a celebrity on to play themselves, and the entire episode like is turns around them, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like just a way for them to build up their own like like brand as a celebrity. Yeah, like we're gonna have a whole episode about how cool Lady Gaga is, and I you know, I, I like Lady Gaga, but I don't Whatever. want her yeah. press tour to be like to include an entire episode of The Simpsons that appears to have been written just to sort of you know boost her up as a like you know a, a product of universal media group or whatever one of my least favorite episodes and it was at the I, at the time i think i was 10 when it aired and i remember not even liking it at the time uh was um kill the gator and run or kill the alligator and run which is where they go to florida for spring break and because i mean i grew up in a hick town where kid rock was considered cool but i still like I was not a child who liked Kid Rock. I thought <laughs> immediately, I'm just like, why does this man never wear a shirt? Like, why is anyone that proud of being from Detroit? Which, um, <laughs> but, um, and so that Kid Rock plays a pretty big part in that episode. But what, what I remember thinking was dumb was The Simpsons is not a Kid Rock kind of show. Like, Whereas if you had, say, Albert Brooks on, that works because it's the same comedy nerds who love the work of Albert Brooks or, uh, you know, well, everyone likes the Beatles, but like, I don't know, it just seems like there's a demographic fit there uh, with. And mm-hmm. the, the other thing with Kid Rock is they don't make fun of him. And there, there are a lot of celebrities that when you look back through the lens of an adult, especially, um, you know, one that knows more about celebrity culture, realize this celebrity did not want anything unflattering written about them. Like um, the episode, When You Dish Up on a Star, where Homer becomes the personal assistant to um, Kim Basinger and um, Alec Mm -hmm. Baldwin. And they're like portrayed as sweet, perfect heroes in it. It's really weird. Yeah, there there, there was something that that changed where no longer like... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean that. I mean, this is exactly what you're saying, right? There, there was there was celebrities where they did not want anything bad, uh, you know, written about them, even like like glancingly. And also, I there is there, yeah, because they they no longer. Sorry, I'm I'm kind of something over my words here, but I think that there was an attempt to sort of make like maybe even broaden the show's appeal by including some celebrities that you know, if you're if you like Kid Rock, maybe you wouldn't normally watch The Simpsons, but tune in this Sunday night and see, you know, Kid Rock as a, a funny funny cartoon and isn't that great. But that but that stuff is always gonna age poorly because mm. you can look back on it now and see like, oh Kid Rock was not cool. No. Kid Rock is actually like a very I mean, you know, for all the uh, we could I guess debate his his various artistic merits and failings if we wanted to. I don't think we do. But for all for all of that, he is a ridiculous person. Yes. And to have him pop up on the show and to have the the show, which is a satirical show and, and and even you know even less than that just a comedy show and have like his ridiculousness not be 
really remarked upon is so like feels so weird Mm -hmm. and it makes it feel so unnatural and forced yeah Uh, i think uh i think that's why homer palooza gets the pass that it does because a homer palooza is overall a incredibly strong episode and like say what you will for the man billy corgan has become but like it's they really do uh they, they really do make fun of themselves all of everyone especially peter frampton like <laughs> yeah i was just thinking about the peter frampton bit with the uh the pig yes and sonic use in oh, my no. cooler <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you feel like we do um that i have to say that episode which came out maybe when i was six years old that introduced me to a lot of really good music and like I I went to my sister after like, do you have any Smashing Pumpkins tapes? <laughs> <laughs> Which she did not. My sister was not as cool as I was, but um, uh, that that that's always a shame, you know. Oh yeah, um, but but so yeah, I think because uh, even like the the George Harrison bit, obviously bringing in George Harrison for uh, no reason other than to say you got George Harrison. The brownie bit is so fucking funny. <laughs> oh, nice fella. Um, so then the um, the more crisp animation. It's interesting because like I as a kid, I actually loved when it got more crisp and the colors mm-hmm. were more vivid. And now I look back at season three when it was like a little bit more raw, but I'm just like, oh, this was the good stuff, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Because actually, as people have pointed out, you know, whether it's Talking Simpsons or uh, Round Springfield, another great Simpsons podcast, how many weird animation errors come up in um, the, and, and like, I'm not saying the show got bad because of its animation errors, but there sure are a lot of them. Um, and like weird things of like, someone not having an arm or like a table be like kind of coming through someone and i i don't know it's it feels even eerier when you have the incredibly crisp and incredibly uh vivid animation style to see those mistakes whereas at least when things were a bit more crude there was kind of like a scrappiness about it yeah yeah i'm, I'm with you though I, when i was younger I, I preferred you know sometimes to, to see the the newer episodes um because of both the, the you know, what I mentioned earlier about the some of the some of the humor was you know in, in the fact that it was a little bit broader was was sometimes more palatable to me mm-hmm. and the animation I was like oh this is this just looks better I, I'd rather I'd rather watch this because I didn't understand that things can have charm because they are a little bit rougher around the edges which the Simpsons uh, early seasons you know even you know as rough as the animation is has charm like like you wouldn't believe. And the thing that gets very jarring about that that really crisp, um, you know, hyper fidelity of the animation is that when they introduce new characters, as the show goes on, the new characters look really human-like and they look a lot more realistic, especially uh, when they introduce kid characters because they're dressed like a regular kid is supposed to dress. And then you have Lisa who is wearing a dress that really like shouldn't exist. Like, it's I mean it's a strapless red dress but like you wouldn't see a seven-year-old in a strapless red dress ever it's just she she wears a red tube um you know yes. bart and lisa have their um their hair head which we did discuss hair thoroughly on in my life <laughs> um or millhouse uh, sherry and terry um i i have a theory that part of the reason why they wrote lisa's friend janie out of the episode is because janie is hideous um and you don't really see her after that you sometimes see sherry and terry but um yeah like as and even celebrities started to look more like themselves and it it feels gross but like women started to look a lot more shapely and like any 
there was a period around when I was getting into high school, any opportunity they had to draw Marge more shapely and not limited to the episode where she accidentally got breast implants. <laughs> so gross. Um, <sighs> but like they, uh, even in like the, the episode Natural Born Kissers, like they really curve Marge up. Like they, Marge is a, uh, Mar- Marge is a, and I have, I have no problem with Marge being depicted as a sexual being, but as sexualized, weird. Yeah, yeah, I I, th- I think as on the whole, the move um, into high definition video um, in in all forms has been a major detriment to society and particularly to entertainment. Mm-hmm. And The Simpsons is, is not immune from that. Yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah. Like you said, like every time a celebrity shows up, it's like, oh, here's a person who's designed to look like a person I would see in real life, and I don't want that. I want to live in this world where hair is just you know squiggly lines on top of a child's like tube shaped head. <laughs> it's it's really like. I don't guess know if I'd go as far as to say it breaks immersion, but I guess it kind of does actually. Well, it, not that the show is like really dedicated to immersion, but it makes your core yeah. characters stand out a lot more, and you become a lot more aware that this is a fictional universe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Actually, and speaking of absurd-looking characters, I do have to kind of issue a correction for the record because Talking Simpsons uh, repeatedly purports that Milhouse is the only character with eyebrows, and for the longest time, I believed that to be true. However, my good friend Lewis, and I gotta give credit to him as pointed out, he is not the only character with eyebrows. Mr. Whalen Smithers has a nice set of gray rectangular eyebrows. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah, that's true. But there have been many jokes about Milhouse that lower those eyebrows and the other one. <laughs> um, so, um, episode pacing is another thing that I think um, it's weird because I kind of like the retconning, I think we remember this a little bit differently. Um, I used to complain, like, especially, again, when I was, like, in middle school, oh, this episode started out with a completely unrelated first act and became something totally different. But actually, go back early, and they, they've been doing that for a long time. Like, the auto show starts out with a set piece about Spinal Tap, and there's a whole first act about Spinal Tap doing a radio interview and doing their show. Um, but then the episode is not about that. The episode is about Otto getting his bus driver's license and living with the Simpsons. Um, Mr. Lisa goes to Washington. It opens with a bit about Reader's Digest. And, like, it, I think that... Oh, my God, he'll be killed. <laughs> that is, like, that is how writing works, is a writer says, oh, you know what? I, I want to I send up Reader's Digest. I want to make some jokes about Reader's Digest. Let's find an opportunity to do this. Or... Um, you know, with, with the B-Sharps episode, you know what? I've got some really good jokes about swap meets. How can we do that? <laughs> I just think in some of the later episodes, they were lamer things that you can't make fun of as easily, like state fairs, um, which is the second episode where they got the horse. Like, I don't know. Oh. I've, I've never lived in a state. Uh, we don't have province <laughs> fairs, but correct me if I'm wrong. No one cares about state fairs. Like, there's nothing inherently funny about state fairs, right? Like... I, I would say everything that's funny about a state fair is very much present in, like, the state fair itself. Like, there's no, you can't, like, take down state fairs <laughs> or, like, you know, reveal the secret comedic side of them. They're inherently ridiculous. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's making a parody of a, of a comedy. It's like that sort of thing. Like, you, if something's already, like, clearly funny mm-hmm. and we all, like, and ridiculous and we all know that, you're not bringing anything new to the table. I think that kind of comes back to what you said about, like, just you you at a certain point you have run the well dry of ideas and it wasn't meant to go out because it's like okay what what else can we get let's let's take take that state fairs which is making me think of tv <laughs> dinner jokes take that swansons 
<laughs> but then uh, the, the last element that I think, um, you know, when this all collided, you knew shit was over, but uh, weaseling out of plots. And and again, this has been a thing for longer than we realize, like uh, the episode Dust Bus, where they get stranded on the island. Like, that is the biggest weasel out of it plot, that though they were saved by, let's say, Mo. And <laughs> un, like they called attention to it. But by the Scully years, they were doing it to the max, and they were doing it, I'd say, every second episode. Like, and and often the way they were doing it was like with rando humor, like, oh, everyone's surfing for no reason. Um, and, yeah. you know, maybe that's maybe that's a whole other thesis is the way that the rise of Internet cartoons influenced The Simpsons, because that was when rando humor was super big on the Internet, like Joe Cartoon and uh, fucking Newgrounds and shit. Like, that's what it was, was Wacky Town. And um I, again, I don't know if The Simpsons was a rando humor kind of show. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. I think it's just one of those things where, like the uh, the, the prologue, or like the first act that kind of pivots to be about something else, it's a thing that, um, well, well, a, it's like they they clearly just ran out of ways to do it well, or, or they or they you know the they stopped having people in the staff who could do it well, or whatever. They just didn't have they just wasn't as good anymore, which is a very unsatisfying answer, but. I think I think the thing is like that's sort of like, you know, the thing with like let's say Mo is very funny, but it's funny because you, ex you there's, you're subverting uh, like the classic like the traditional ending of an episode, but you can't subvert something if, as you said, every other episode ends like that. Yeah, it's it, it, it's a, it's a very much diminishing returns on that, and it, they diminish very quickly. Yeah. So um, for me, I was actually able to calculate a point where all this came to colliding. And I'm not even saying this is my peak. I, I think my my peak for this episode will remain the same as what I discussed with Ted, which is uh, season seven, specifically the season seven finale of uh, Summer of Four Foot Two. Everyone knows how I feel about Summer of Four Foot Two. But to me, I would say this, you know, would be the, the moment when The Simpsons could have ended. And the one that sticks out for me is having all of those really, sh aside from, I don't think there's a celebrity voice in it, but The Trouble with Trillions, which is a season nine episode. It was the one where uh, Homer has to steal the trillion dollar bill from Mr. Burns and they end up uh, fugitives in Cuba. Um, so you have the silly set piece first act, which is the New Year's Eve celebrations. Uh, you have a story that it is a Homer story, but it ignores the rest of the family. And you can tell they just kind of had to write in little bits for Marge and the kids. Um, you have a plot that they definitely weasel out of because like Homer and Burns and Smithers are wanted men and they're stranded off the coast of Cuba and Burns basically ends with saying, I'll bribe a jury. Oh, great. Then this whole, this whole episode was for nothing. Um, so that for me was kind of when it should have ended. And I actually think if like people point to season nine as not a peak, but like the beginning of the end. And I think a huge part of that is because of the principal and the pauper, uh, the Armin Tamzarian mm -hmm. episode. I, it's, I don't care about that episode. Like it was kind of their attempt at doing like a really dramatic episode. I actually think it's more a send up and like a parody of needlessly dramatic episodes. Um, but I, I think it's fine. But like to me, season nine, I would kind of agree that it's the beginning of the end only because it with Mike Scully being the showrunner, I think it's like it knowing what it became after that and I'm I'm like, oh, this could have ended after season nine because season nine actually has 
very not some very good episodes. Um, some of my favorite, I listed my favorite, um, one of my all-time favorites, The City of New York versus Homer Simpson. Yes, yes, yes classic. Yes, as, as a New Yorker, I'm sure, uh, like, when you realize, especially how, as an adult, like, oh, animation is really friggin' hard, and you see how accurately they do a lot of New York set pieces, like, bravo to them. <laughs> um. <laughs> also, just, just, uh... Mountain Dew or crab juice is just such an all-timer like <laughs> bit of like timing and, and comedy. Oh, <laughs> take a crab juice. <laughs> take a crab juice. <laughs> uh, but then Lisa Sachs is a great season nine episode. Um, one that I mentioned uh, in a negative sense earlier, but I do think is overall a good show uh, or a good episode. Bart Starr, um, where he plays football. I also love that one because it has a cameo from uh, King of the Hills main characters. Um, Miracle and Evergreen Terrace, which I was surprised was a season nine episode. I always remember that one as older than it is. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's because I tend to mix it up with the far better Christmas episode, which is Marge Be Not Proud. Um, yeah. But and then uh, Bart Carney, uh, where with um, the late great Jim Varney as Cooter. Uh, Realty Bites, where Marge becomes a real estate agent. Uh, one, one of the many things that I quote a lot is, um, especially as a journalist, it comes up a lot is, there's the truth. And the truth! Um, <laughs> Last Temptation of the Crust, and uh, then finally Lost Our Lisa. So like, and I Lost Our Lisa is the finale of season nine. If you edit after this, I would have been so fine with it. I would have said like, wow, that was one of the greatest comedies ever, that even you know, post-peak, this was fine. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I was just looking through, and I'm, in addition to everything you said, just looking through now, like season nine is, yeah, there's there's there's, there's a lot of good ones there. Mm-hmm. Um, do we want to get into what I think is the peak, or we, oh, yeah. do we want to hold off on that? No, I, I think, uh, you know, we, as as the series has progressed, um, we've realized that we're determining the peak pretty early on in the episodes. <laughs> so I, <laughs> okay. I'm super into knowing what you think was the peak. Okay, now I think that it, for me it's kind of a split between the season six or season seven. I think season seven's a—I mean, I was just running through about half of that season just today, and it's, it's so so good. Uh, but but for me, I think that because I revisit these episodes uh, most often, because I do it basically every year around Halloween, mm-hmm. the Treehouse of Horror episodes are kind of like my form of measurement for the show because you can like just track through that like the way those episodes like start off and become so very very good mm. and then begin to get worse and worse and worse really mirrors the show as a whole in a very like nice and tidy way and so by that standard i have to give the peak to season six because <laughs> season six has the all-time best trios of horror trios of horror five yes <laughs> yes um <laughs> Hi, David. I'm Grandpa. Um, I, I agree. <laughs> Everyone in that one hits it out of the park. There is one other Treehouse of Horror episode that I think like comes close, and it's the one with um, where Homer goes through the wall and is in that. I forget the the other ones in that, but I recall it was like, oh, that one's close to the top. But I completely agree with you. Treehouse of Horror Five is such an all timer, and like the simpsons is really really good at doing film parodies i think the the shinning is probably their oh. best film parody that's odd usually the blood gets off in the second floor <laughs> uh, uh no i i think um season six and seven i i completely agree are such magic and uh what's interesting is uh people are weirdly split between David Merkin and Bill Oakley, Josh Weinstein being the best showrunners. And David Merkin did, uh, 
I can't remember if it's five and six or four through six. And then Bill Oakley, Josh Weinstein did six and or did seven and eight. And one of the things that people have said about the David Merkin years is that he was uh, very he was a bit more mean spirited. And with her talk about mean spiritedness earlier, I actually think that it's it's a fine type of mean spirited. Like a great example of a kind of catty, kind of bitchy episode is A Star Is Birds, which um, actually the writers of that episode did not like. They felt like they were forced to write it because they didn't want to have to do a crossover and blah blah. Um, mm-hmm. I like it, um, and I really like the way that it sent up Hollywood culture and film festival culture. And was still a character. It was about, you know, Homer being dumb um, and, you know, wanting Marge to respect him. Um, also resulted in one of the most memeable Simpsons moments ever with the just hook it to my veins. Which, um, as I am presently still waiting on my second vaccine, just hook it to my veins, baby. <laughs> yes, uh, you are, uh, you know, you are fortunately very vaccinated and I am only sort of vaccinated. Well, just 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 one of the many advantages to living in the greatest country in the world, <laughs> the, America, the country of America. What <laughs> uh, um, you know I, that would that does actually bring me to something I was noticing when I was recently watching Mr. Lisa Goes to Washington and talking about <laughs> perceiving the show differently as an adult versus as a child, and I didn't realize as a kid, and even when I became like a slightly older kid, like eleven and twelve that the ending of that was kind of a parody the way you know lisa makes these accusations in her speech and then the last like three minutes of the episode is washington working incredibly quickly to unseat and arrest uh bob arnold and uh you know you even have george bush like you have bosses yep all 320 million of them i I don't know what the population of the u.s is um but um and I did kind of, at least when I was a teenager, I was like, this is a weirdly idealistic ending. And then I'm like, oh, it's a parody. Like, I I finally get in my 30s. It's a fucking parody. (laughs) Um, But, like, Mr. Lisa Goes to Washington is one of my favorite episodes. Definitely not a peak, but just um, because it was, like, I, I think at first in the early seasons, they kind of were deciding what they wanted to do with Lisa. And the bigger part of her character wasn't at first that she was smart. It was that she was overlooked. It was that she, you know, was more talented than Bart and a better student than Bart, but she was overlooked. And, um, you know, she was the your stereotypical middle child. And, and then, you know, her intelligence was kind of a more precocious, like, girl bossy intelligence. She had a lot of faith in systems. She was a bit of like a Hank Hill type of like, why would the government lie to us? Um, and so I like that Mr. Lisa Goes to Washington not only cemented her as a, as a cynic, but gave her a reason to be a cynic. Like we actually, that was a character evolution and that was their way of saying like, we get who this character is now or we get who we want this character to be. Yeah, and, and, it, and it worked great. And, and Lisa was a great character for a, a very long time. Yeah, um, so um, we are kind of barreling toward the end. And uh, on a personal note, I am actually, um, as soon as this is done, fleeing the city. Uh, but so as we're uh, kind of barreling toward this and, uh, you know, I, I think I do like that our peaks are quite close together. I love being on the same page as people. But yes, um, yes. and I really do love how much you appreciate Treehouse of Horror 5. But another thing about um, about this is 
Would you recommend to someone if somehow there's someone who's never seen The Simpsons, which is not that weird because as we discussed, your co-host Kelsey, kind of a Simpsons novice. Um, mm -hmm. You know, how would you recommend to dive into The Simpsons? Would you recommend like a remote roulette? Would you recommend do just this season? And would you recommend kind of a playlist of your key episodes? I, I would probably, unless someone like wanted to just go through it, like like front to back, well, not, not to back, but front <laughs> to, you know, nine or 10 or wherever they, they run out of steam. Uh, I, I would probably just want to give them like a list of my favorite episodes. Uh, I, I don't I don't think I would need to like like curate a list that was like meant to bring people through the show if that makes sense. Like it's not like a like a like a prospectus or like a lesson plan. It's just like I would just want them to see like these are the episodes I think are the very best, and I would just recommend these. And just like if you like these, just go from there pretty much. Mm -hmm. So um, and. and you know, besides Treehouse of Horror 5, if you could pick, say, three to five episodes that you were going to give, uh, say, our, our our dear friend Kelsey, she can be the cross-section for Middle America. Um, <laughs> Kelsey and or, you know, your rand any random friend who has never seen The Simpsons, if you could think of three to five episodes to recommend for a novice. Um, it, it, it's, 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 it's tough because a lot of the ones I would I would think like to, to go for would be like, you know, would be like the the 138th episode spectacular, or uh, I, sorry, I forget if it's 22 or 21 short films about Springfield. 22. Um, 22. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, it would it would be episodes like that that kind of break the format a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, well, you know, and, you know, I was actually I was just watching it today, so again, this is like just on top of mind. But um, the Bart sells his soul is a really is such a good episode and has such a like wonderful like undercurrent of um almost like like philosophy to it about what the soul really means and like in a non like um traditional really religious environment which i found actually quite quite moving and of course the jokes are, are amazing i mean alf is back <laughs> in pog form and you you do have um you, you do have the topical humor as well because the whole b plot of that is a send-up of 90s crazy crap on the wall restaurants yes yeah. yes um and you got like i love mo i think mo is my favorite non-simpson family character um it's between him and and mr burns but um so i have um for kind of three episodes i would recommend to people uh secret secrets of a successful marriage and i think that's such a funny episode that really gets you by the emotions at the end. Um, then in terms of Wacky Town, I think The Boy Who Knew Too Much is uh, one I'd, I'd certainly recommend because it's a great introduction to the character of Bart. You've got some really good Skinner stuff in there. Um, it's it's pretty much just focused on Bart, but then uh, you've got some good Lisa and Lisa doing what she does best, which is being the family moral center. Um, and then I also have Bart sells his soul. Um, so I, I think those are three episodes that really show you who the whole family is. Even I, I, I say Bart sells his soul is also, you know, Lisa is not the main character, but she's playing kind of the role she was born to play, baby, of mm -hmm. being being Bart's kind of moral center and his guide, I guess. Yeah, that really, watching that today, I really am like so surprised when this happens now but when i watch episodes of the simpsons now that i used to just think of as funny now like have a like a so a great emotional impact on me like when 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 vart's praying in the end of that episode and lisa drops the piece of paper on the bed uh, next to him it's like it's very like 
It's a it's a, it's a it's a beautiful moment. Simpsons uh, is very spiritual in many ways, and not and not even in a religious way. Uh, the Simpsons has a lot of pondering on what it means to be a good person. Or, yeah, or it, it did. They, they were very good. They, they, they were yeah right. They were that episode especially is very good about like the Simpsons is kind of like upfront about dismissing like organized religion is 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 complete you know nonsense. Don't you? It's like full of. You know, hypocrisy is large and small. You don't need to worry about it. But there is a spiritual dimension to the stuff that like Bart is dealing with in that episode that is taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And they could like when they were when they when they, the show was good, they could pair that with jokes, and the, the two would you know the humor and the pathos would feed into each other the way they should in a great you know comedic show. And it really was. Uh, the Simpsons was a very good show, you know? <laughs> oh, that makes me think, actually, of maybe another one I'd recommend in my top three, uh, which is why we say three to five, um, is In Marge We Trust, um, which is less about spirituality and more about kind of community. But I think because that has the best B-plot in the history of The Simpsons, which is uh, Mr. Sparkle. And <laughs> Mr. Sparkle, yes. Yeah, oh, God. <laughs> That Mr. Sparkle takes over the episode. Like that's why when you say in Marge we trust, like no one's eyes light up because no one remembers. Oh, what was that? That was the listen lady episode, right? Is the Mr. Sp- no, Mr. Sparkle. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mr. Sparkle, definitely one of the best. Uh, I one of the best B plots ever. It's, it's Mr. Sparkle himself is adorable. I think it's a, oh, it's a fantastic uh, episode. And, and, and the payoff to how they get Mr. Sparkle is also like. <laughs> it's just perfect it's so funny it's kind of a weird anti-joke it's kind of a weird anti-climax of like that explains nothing oh it's like and and yeah it's a little bit of japanese japanese people are so random humor but um a few uh japanese writers have said like this is what a lot of fun things are in in japanese that (laughs) the thing that i think we as north americans don't get is when Japanese uh, advertisements and TV shows and stuff do random humor like that. They are aware that it's random. They are aware that it's silly. That's just their sense of humor. Like it's not the joke is not on them. We we think the joke yeah. is on them, but they are one step ahead of us, baby. Um, uh, that, that that that's a classic. As you say, North American like cultural blind spot is like seeing like a, a wacky, very random thing from another culture and, and just sort of thinking like, oh, can you believe how how weird this is? Like they don't even realize how crazy they're being. And it's like no, they they know. Yeah. They they see these advertisements all the time. They understand what the tone is. It's not it's not a, it's not a surprise to them that it's weird. Yeah. Uh, so the other two questions before we go, and uh, hopefully this is not something that you have to think that hard about. One is. Who are, um, you know, one or multiple of your favorite characters who aren't part of the Simpsons family? Uh, I will always have a, a, a soft spot in my heart for Disco Stew, <laughs> if only because that that's a character that I don't know if he really belonged as like a recurring player. But the initial joke that introduces him is, is I, I find just delightful. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mo, is, Mo is, as you point out, Mo is a great character. Yes. And Mo is a character who was, um, who was really really suffered in the later years from them trying to do a lot with him that the character just is not built to 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 do no funeral is one of the best dark jokes and that is actually from a quote-unquote later episode um but (laughs) yeah yeah um weirdly enough my favorite non-family characters none of them are in my favorite episode because my favorite non-family characters are um if you unless you count grandpa um because he is part of the family but not I, i love grandpa but um right Krusty, Mo, and Mr. Burns are my favorite non-family characters, and none of them are in Summer of Four Foot Two. Um, the other question is: um, Are there any like 
line readings of, you know, even just common phrases, but line readings from The Simpsons that have influenced the way you talk. Like for me, um, Chief Wiggum in um, in the spinoff Spectacular when like, oh, Chief, your boy's been kidnapped. Oh, God, like that. It's just <laughs> Chief Wiggum didn't invent saying, oh, God, but he invented saying it that way, you know? This, this is a cop-out answer, but I would say just everything that, that, that Dan Castanella does as Homer uh-huh. is, like, it, it, I think in many ways, uh, Homer was, like, for me growing up, like, like a, a one of the primary models of how I understood, like, masculinity <laughs> as, like, as what an adult man would be, yeah. uh, which, which I think, and this is, you know, a thing that we don't really have time to get into and I should probably discuss with my therapist instead, but... <laughs> There, I think there's 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 some positive things about Homer that are, are uh, you know make him not the worst model of uh, you know of of of, of that for for me. Yeah. Uh, but but it's mostly his his just what it's just a genius piece of, of voice acting. Everything he does, I think, is so. And he, like that's like the thing that makes the show even like if you turn on a random episode from a, a new season. Mm-hmm. The show is still watchable because he is so good as that character. He is so good, and I think. Um... With one thing that was missing from the first season is how much um, they they didn't realize how funny it is when he yells and when he's yes. in pain. Or um, <laughs> I just love um, the in Last Exit to Springfield the Union episode, um, which when I got a guitar at age twelve, that was the first thing I learned to play was the Union song. <laughs> um, but uh, when they um, uh, Ken Brockman says organized labor has been called a lumbering dinosaur, and Homer just screams. And just like it's so <laughs> stupid, but um, and a uh, friend of the show, Mike Stevens, had pointed out in the episode that he was on about King of the Hill that like as a teenager, the Homer like like became his thing, and how again Homer didn't invent you know shrugging and saying like I don't know, but like there's a Homer way to do it, and I think a lot of us, uh, especially in our teenage years, probably did it a lot. I I am actually I'm just now realizing that I still do that. That is still like. <laughs> I don't. I don't have any other way of like making that that particular kind of noise. Because you're right. He didn't invent that, but there's like a certain cadence, yeah. Type of yeah. There's a certain cadence. There's a there's a certain meaning being communicated by the specific way he's doing it yeah. that I I don't think anything else captures. Because it's not apathy. Also, it I'm is sorry. I, I I know I said his his name wrong a few minutes ago. I'm not going to try it again. T's and L's and N's all together is like tricky for me. You know what? Um, it's anti-Italian discrimination. <laughs> oh, oh, God, free. I'm sorry. I don't want to. I don't want to draw any heat to the show. That's okay. I'm. Uh, look out, itchy. I'm Irish. So. Uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Jason, uh, you know, I know you said uh, "Ruin My Life" is currently on a bit of a hiatus, but if you still want to plug your stuff, let us know where we can follow you on social, support you in any way. Yes, uh, I, I "Ruin My Life" is not over. It will be back, uh, and Kelsey and I will and slash or be working on other audio-based projects together. Uh, but you can find for now, let me make sure I know what the Twitter account is for my show. I believe it's Ruin My Life Cast at Twitter. It is, yes. Um, but, but but honestly, we don't, we don't really do a lot of social. So we're on Anchor FM or Anchor.fm. Uh, you can find the podcast and any, any of your local podcast apps or whatever <laughs> so just yeah just download it there just listen to the podcast and if we have anything else coming out uh we'll let you know through that um I, we're both me and kelsey are both on twitter i would not recommend following me uh, i will leave it to her uh to, to say to people if she uh wants people to follow her 
but uh yeah don't don't follow me on twitter it's not it's 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 not worth it well i won't push anyone on your twitter but i will say that following you on twitter has been a delight so uh that Thank that you. creepy it, it, ass it, it, mannequin it, head haunts my nightmares <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, well, as for me, I've been your host, Brie Rohde. You can find me on Twitter at Breganism, which is like veganism with a B-R-E-E. Our theme music is called Homo Logo by the artist Jack Dump. You can find them on bandcamp.com slash jackdump or check them out on twitter.com slash jackdump where they also make some really cool comics. Our show logo is made by none other than Jared Daly, my sweet husband. New episodes are due out every two weeks and you do not want to miss them. If you want to check out our back catalog, which contains, of course, more episodes on The Simpsons, you can also hear about Malcolm in the Middle, King of the Hill, So You Think You Can Dance, The Office, my, uh, you know, The Mighty Ducks is coming up with your uh, Ruin My Life co-host Kelsey, uh, and oh, you could also hear an episode on Saw and hear us talking about how I think Spiral's gonna be really good. Spoiler alert, it was not. <laughs> so take it easy and remember, as you walk down that road of life, hitchhiking's faster. When Roger Myers stole your character... Objection. Sustained. If I hear objection and sustain one more time today, I think I'm going to scream. Objection. Sustained.